Welcome to Video Vices with Contemporary Research. Listen in monthly as we talk integration, innovation, and industry with leaders across AV. We're here on International Women's Day talking about women in AV with Chris Chavink, president and CEO of Sure, and Alexis B. LeBroy, systems consultant at Avitecture. Guys, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. Good to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So we have the Avixa Women's Council Breakfast coming up on Thursday, June 13th. And I know, Alexis, you wanted to speak a little bit more about that and give us some more details about that coming up. Yes. Uh, the uh, Avixa Women's Breakfast is coming up during the Infocom show in Orlando. Um, we, uh, we are so excited that Chris is going to be our speaker. This is our first time where we'll have a, um, a CEO from our industry uh, to be the speaker for the breakfast. And um, we come out of that breakfast every year, and it's, it's, it's a major love fest for, for the ladies. <laughs> so we're really excited that Chris is going to be our speaker. That's really exciting. Now, Chris, you are the just the fourth CEO in Sure's 90-year history, which is uh, an incredible accomplishment. Uh, what kind of drew you to the AV industry initially? Well, interestingly, you know, I, I ended up pursuing a um, degree in technology. My undergrad is in mechanical engineering and kind of some interesting stories around how I got to that point. But when I was graduating from college with that mechanical engineering degree, I had three different offers. And one was from an automotive company, very typical for a mechanical engineer. Second offer was from a commercial sensor company up in the Twin Cities where I grew up. And then third was from Sure, And frankly, I didn't know that much about Sure um, until the recruiter came on campus. But the fact that they were music-oriented and the company has a passion around music got me into the company. And then it was once I got into the company that I started to learn about the AV component of the company as well. So I kind of slid into the AV industry a little bit sideways. Absolutely. Uh, that, that That's that's fascinating to me. And I, I love Sure Microphones, actually. I should say that I'm recording this on an SM7B right now. So uh, obviously fans. But uh, Alexis, I want to pass the baton back to you and just um, allow you to explain why Chris was the right choice for this particular event and then uh, kind of dive a little bit more into Chris's background. Uh that's fine. Perfect. Um, yeah, a lot of times when we look for speakers, um, we reach out to people and we, we just, you know, we put a lot of feelers out to see who might be interested in speaking. And in this case, Chris's team reached out to us to let us know that she would be interested um, to speak. So, Chris, can you tell us why you volunteered for this opportunity? Why did you want to speak to um, the Avixa Women's Group at the breakfast? Well, I think it's a pretty unique group. And frankly, you know, women in AV and probably more broadly women in technology has been sort of a lifelong interest and curiosity to me. Um, being a mechanical engineering student in the 1980s, you know, I was one of very few women sitting in a classroom or sitting in a lecture room. And I would have uh-huh. thought now, three decades later, that things would have changed a lot. And quite frankly, they've gotten better, but they haven't. And so I think um, women need to connect, kind of help each other out and work together to get young girls, frankly, to understand why science and technology is now actually cool. Um, there's no reason to shy away from it. That's great. I I am right there with you in those feelings. Um, mm-hmm. Always wondering what types of things 
we can do to attract and retain um, women in our industry, in technology. You know, I'm, I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you talked about um, being in school and I saw that you went to Northwestern and I'm also a Northwestern alum. So very excited about that. Go Cats. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then um, I was really interested to hear more about what is your position on the board of industrial advisors for, uh, for NU. Um, what does that entail? Does that, um, is, is, why did you want to be a part of that group? Yeah. So that's actually the second board of industrial advisors that I've been on. The first one that I served on was for my undergrad alma mater at university, of Wisconsin, Madison. And uh-huh. what's interesting about coming back to, um, you know, a, a campus where you got your original degree, whereas at some points you were maybe a little bit intimidated by the professors and, you know, here you are coming back as a member of industry and helping to advise them on mm-hmm. what employers are actually looking for. So we do a little bit of shaping of curriculum and we do um, more on the soft skills, if you will. How, mm-hmm. how does a class kind of evolve? What kind of team interactions are we looking for people to have? And, just give a whole lot of feedback about what are we actually looking for when a new recruit comes into our company and what kind of skill sets are we looking for? I think that's great. I, one of the things that uh, I think about quite a bit is um, that in order to, you know, when you, when, when you're, when I was a younger person, when you were a younger person and you were looking for opportunities, I think it would be, or it would have been easier to see more women in positions um, like the position that you're in. Um, and um, I always say, when you can see me, you can be me, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's great that you're involved in that group and the, and, and the board of advisors at your at University, University of Wisconsin and in, in you, because women see you in that position. They see you as a CEO of Sure. And they say, oh, I want to be that person. How can I get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, the The board that I was on at Wisconsin, I actually am not on that one anymore just because my term ran out, but I'll get back on it as soon as I can again. We would do a lot of focus groups with students, too, asking about certain classes, asking about certain experiences. And what was really encouraging to me was to see how many more younger women I was seeing joining those focus groups. Again, still not to the level where, you know, I think we'd all like to see it, but um, Mm -hmm. very confident and, um, you know, impressive young women heading into that field. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, What, what is your strategy uh, to attract and retain young and diverse talent today? Well, it's, you know, it's an interesting thing when you look at technology, like I said, just because the pool still isn't as large as we would like it to be, um, we have to kind of go the extra mile when we're in the recruiting process to make sure that people know about the Sure brand. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when I joined the company, like I told you, a recruiter came on campus and I really did not know that much about the brand. So we are trying to do a lot more right now with our online presence in terms of 
our websites, social media, getting our brand out there a bit more. If people don't know about the company, they're not going to be drawn to us no matter you know what kind of background they're coming from. So we're trying to right. get more information out there and kind of increase the the presence of our brand so people know more about it and and then we can have more success recruiting when we go on campus or whether we're on LinkedIn, whatever the case might be. Being at Shure, you had the opportunity to work with Rose Shure, a giant in the industry. How was your career impacted by working uh, with Rose Shure, with Ms. Shure, and how were you personally impacted by working with Mrs. Shore? Well, I can say that I was just really fortunate to be able to work with an amazing lady for the last 15 years of her life. Um, I think you know that her husband, Sidney Shore, was the company founder, and uh-huh. he passed away in 1995. And really, she did not take too long after that to start putting her own management team in place. Um, that was around the time that I was going to Northwestern, by the way, and I was going into management, uh-huh. you know, something that I had a, a real desire to want to do. And by the year 2000, I was the vice president of operations. So I had all of manufacturing and supply chain. And in 2001, she and my predecessor, Sandy Lamantia, asked me if I would someday um, take on the role of president and CEO. And, and mind you, this was 15 years before the role would actually come about. Wow. So right. she she had a real sense about people. And in assembling this new management team, you know, she didn't really kind of pick the usual suspects. She was reaching much deeper into the organization and really kind of taking some risks. That's amazing that you you knew, you didn't know how long before you would eventually go into that position, yeah. but knowing that eventually you would be tapped for that position, I think that's a, a, a big motivator. <laughs> it was, and it, you know, it gave me the opportunity to take on a lot of different roles. You know, I was an engineer and I was heavily involved with manufacturing at the time that, you know, she asked me about that role. And there was a, there was a definite plan after that. And I got involved more with the sales and marketing things, um, in, in around the 2006 time period, and I got to know our customers really well. So I really had a long runway uh, in terms of a training period to get up to speed for the role, which I think was very prescient on her part. A question that I have for um, for many of the people that I meet um, in leadership positions, and, and it's something that has happened to me personally, um, is have you ever had imposter syndrome, um, where you just weren't sure you were in the right place. Yeah. Well, you know, I know that term and I kind of shy away from the term. Um, so, so, but ever since I can remember, even as a young person, you know, I, I know I've always been someone who doesn't like to get overly confident, you know, Mm -hmm. don't rest on my laurels. Don't let my ego get out of check. I think it's part of the whole Midwest modesty, uh, modesty kind of work ethic thing. Um, Mm -hmm. but if I ever do have self-doubt, you know, I do take the time to kind of reflect on the successes, the hard work that I've put into things and, you know, not letting that self-doubt take over. So it's, it's a, it's a balance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think there is something to be said about the Midwestern work ethic. I'm from Gary, Indiana, and, Mm um, I definitely, see a difference in the different places that I've lived on the East coast and, you know, um, uh, and t- 
Tennessee. It's definitely different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do you have a mentor or ha- are you a mentor to others? So, you know, I would say, as you can tell from my story here, that Mrs. Schur was my longest standing mentor. And now Uh I have a lot of people that I would label more as confidants. So I need Uh people both internal to the company as well as people that I meet through networking that I can just bounce ideas off of. And, you know, if there's something that's really frustrating me, stymieing me, I can kind of work through a problem with someone. Um, I am sort of an informal mentor to a lot of people at the company. Um, just last week at, at ISE in Amsterdam, I had a really interesting career conversation with one of our uh, associates from Europe. So I like doing that. I like investing some time in talking to people about careers, you know, sharing my kind of past successes and foibles both at the same time. And uh, while we don't have a formal mentoring program at Sure, um, there's a lot of informal mentoring that happens. And I think, you know, we're, uh-huh. we're growing to the size where we might have to actually institutionalize um, some of that. So I've been having some discussions with our HR group about do we need to formalize some of this a bit more? Because I think it's important as you're talking about implementing company strategy where we're trying to make changes, people need to have some connections to management. And mentoring is a great way to do that for them to understand where can they make changes and and where can they really make a difference. I and even though you don't have a formal mentoring program, I would imagine that it's it's definitely a part of the company culture because when you talk to people who work for sure, they've been there 10, 15, mm-hmm. 20 years. <laughs> um, yeah. And they're very proud to be a part of the organization. Yeah, we have so many longstanding associates. It really does happen organically. And so mm-hmm. I don't worry that it's not going on. I just wonder if because we are so broad now, we have you know more than 25 locations around the world. Maybe I shouldn't just count on these things kind of happening accidentally, but mm. you know, make sure that there's a system in place to to make it happen. Understood. Mm-hmm. There are some people who don't think that there is a need to attract um, specifically women and diverse workers um, to the AV industry. They don't think that that is necessary, that it will happen organically. What do you think about that? So I think that's, you know, certainly an interesting viewpoint, but there is hard data out there that shows that time and time again, you know, any company or any industry is definitely more successful, more profitable, and just frankly, more fun to work at when inclusion is an area of focus. Um, You know, companies are hiring chief diversity officers and doing this kind of thing because it really impacts the work environment, which in turn then I think parlays into success in the marketplace. It's there's hard data out there. It's a simple fact. What what do you think that our industry can do can do more of to make this happen or to go in a, a, a more positive direction? So, you know, I think that our industry, we need to um, we need to have more discussions about reaching people at a younger age. You know, like I said earlier, you really do have to hit um, people probably either before or during their junior high stage. And they have to understand what a technology career actually looks like. So people in our industry can go out 
you know, visit schools. We have we have people, for example, at Sure that take their day of service that we offer and go out and help kids understand what a role in technology actually looks like. We have some people mm-hmm. that volunteer for like robotics programs and competitions at schools. Hitting people at that age is absolutely critical. And the more that we can either donate our time or, you know, aim some some giving um, campaigns at at schools to hit kids at that age, that's that's the ap- absolutely critical thing to be doing. As I mentioned, um, this is the first time that we are going to feature a CEO from our industry as a speaker for the breakfast. Um, what do you plan to talk about during your presentation? So I think it's a lot of what we just got done talking about. I sort of did a presentation like this many years ago at the Illinois Institute of Technology, talking about how to get girls um, interested in technology either before or after their um, before or during, I should say, their junior high years, and then how to keep them there. And then uh-huh. also talking about just overall diversity in the workplace and why it's important and how it delivers results and satisfaction and, you know, even better health for people. And to be honest with you, half the fun in doing a presentation like this for me is the research, you know, getting the latest stats and seeing where we're Uh at on these kind of things and where there have been and haven't been improvements and understanding, you know, where we still need to be focusing on. Uh, I think it's great and um, really looking forward to it. And I think that um, we are going to try really hard to get more of the CEOs from industry organizations who will be at Infocom, who will be at the show. We're going to try to get them to that breakfast so they can hear what you have to say. I think it will be really important. There's a a stat out there that as of January of uh, 2019, there are 24 women CEOs of S&P 500 companies which is only 4.8%, so less than 5%. There are even fewer women CEOs of AV manufacturers. Uh, what is your hope for a, a breakfast like this? Is it that, that it can help spur some change and kind of push um, to understand uh, ways that that problem can be addressed? Absolutely. You know, I mean, this is just one breakfast out of many that need to occur and other forums that need to be developed. I think there are because of the stat that you just mentioned, there are a lot of concerted efforts out there in terms of people trying to get more women onto their boards and people understand the importance of of doing that and, you know, the results that, you know, they can experience as a result. So I think, you know, this is one step of many that we need to be taking. Absolutely. Hey, uh, Alexis, what, what, when, you, when you kind of look at a breakfast like this, what does success look like for you uh, when it's all said and done? Do you hope people walk away with um, a specific piece of knowledge or inspired? Uh, what, what, what are you hoping for? I am always hoping that they will walk away inspired, that they will walk away motivated, that they will have met uh, some other people um, while they're at the breakfast Um, who they can network with and who they can stay in touch with, whether they're on the East Coast or the West Coast or the Midwest. Um, And we hope to give them some actionable items that they can take back with them when they go back to their uh, respective uh, jobs and day-to-day. So um, whether it's something like Chris mentioned, you know, take a day, take some days out of your year and go to a school and talk to 
the young people at a school about what it is you do or uh, go talk to the Girl Scout troop that is selling you cookies <laughs> this time of year, you know, um, tell people what it is that we do um, kind of be a talk, talk, talk to people about, you know, um, this industry and about what it is that we do. Um, and hopefully we can reach some of those young people at an age where we can steer them um, in the direction of AV on purpose rather than on accident. Um, many of the people that, that I talk with, including myself, find their way to audiovisual industry and it's on accident, you know, it's, it's not on purpose. And so that's kind of one of the things that I like, oh, those are several of the things that I like for people to take away from the breakfast. Absolutely. Uh, Alexis, did you have any more questions for Chris about, um, uh, about her story and about, uh, what she plans on speaking on at the breakfast? Well, just, um, Chris, do you have any final thoughts? Is there anything else that, um, you want to share about yourself at this time? Um, that would be inspiring or motivating to the women in our industry? Well, I think, you know, the only thing that I would probably add is um, I, I do think that our industry and others that are tech oriented are on the cusp of some change. Um, so we haven't talked about this yet, but unlike, you know, a lot of people my age, and I'm up there, right? I don't, I don't look, I don't look at the youth of today and condemn that, condemn them. In fact, I kind of sure. admire them. They're tech savvy. I think they're a lot more global in their thinking. And when I'm saying that, I'm really focusing more on Gen Z. Um, millennials uh-huh. are, are getting up there in age. You know, I, I think a lot of people lose the sight of the fact that Gen Z is now more than 25% of the U.S. population. It's the largest slice that we have. And um, by 2020, they're going to be a third of the population. They're tech savvy. They're global, like I said. And I think that is good news for our industry in general. So, you know, I think there are some more positive changes ahead of us. And, you know, I'm happy to study more about that, too. Hey, Alexis, what, what are the, the details for the breakfast? Can people register uh, and, and where can people kind of uh, find out those details? I did recently see that the registration has opened for Infocom for the show. So you can go to registration for the show and add the women's breakfast at the time that you register for the show. So everything is available and open and uh, ready for you to register. We're happy to have everyone, not just women, any uh, women and supporters, women and men, anyone who uh, is welcome at the breakfast. And we're happy to have you there. Well, I'm excited about that and really excited about what uh, you, y'all are doing. I, I think it's it's fantastic work and I support you wholeheartedly. Chris Shavink, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks, Tyler. Alexis B. LeBroy, thank you as well for coming on and uh, for bringing us this, uh, this message. And I, I'm excited for the breakfast and I hope it all turns out wonderfully. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, looking forward to it. 